Welcome to the podcast of Grace Community Bible Church. We hope and pray that you are blessed, challenged, and inspired by this message. For other sermons or more information, visit us at gracebiblechurch.org.au. You know, I must confess, I was, as I was looking at this passage this past week, there's mention of persecution and how they were persecuted in the past and how to look to that so that they can continue to strive on currently as they face persecution. For some time I struggled with the passage. Not because it was difficult to understand, but I couldn't relate to it because I hadn't gone through much of what has been mentioned here. I must confess that it was, you know, after much prayer and deliberation, I in fact even listened to a sermon by John Piper on this, this particular passage as well. And it was then that, you know, the Lord just convicted me of where my heart is at and just uh, helped me to just think through this passage even more clearly and caused me to think of, even repent of areas that I need to repent of and to live in conformity to his word. So I want to ask you this morning, as we, as we look at a passage like this that talks about persecution, of people that experience persecution and are going to experience persecution, and this is severe persecution, why is it that sometimes we struggle to associate with it? I think one of the reasons is because, you know, in the Western world, things have been relatively wonderful for Christians. And, and yet that's not the reality for so much of the world around us for Christians. Let me just read to you an incident that took place on December 3rd in a place called Chhattisgarh in India. People had come on a Sunday morning service like this. And right as they were worshipping God, uh, a group of radical Hindu activists walked into that church service, injuring a lot of the members of that church. Uh, and two of them even critically injured as well. This, this group of Hindu activists, they came in with weapons and, and they beat a lot of people, they damaged their property, did all kinds of things. And that's not an unusual thing in uh, many parts of India. And this was on December 3rd. You'll hear things like that in Pakistan and Afghanistan, in different parts of Africa, different parts of the Middle East. This is what Christians face. And yet we live in a world where, or in a culture, in a society, for, for the most bit, it's quite comfortable for the Christian. Although things are slowly beginning to change these days. And the problem is 
that when we live in such a comfortable society, and when it's comfortable for Christians to live this way, and then you, whether it's the influence of the culture with all the prosperity that is around, and even with false teachers around that talk about the health, wealth, prosperity gospel. You come to Jesus and everything will be fine. If you're poor, you'll get rich. If you're sick, you'll get healed. You want to prosper and everything to go well in your life, just come to Jesus. Now, I wouldn't think any member of this church would hold to that. But I must say that when we live in such a prosperous country, sometimes our thinking of Jesus can be just that. I follow Jesus, therefore everything should go well in my life. And so what happens is when we have troubles in our family, for example, we're surprised and shocked. Sometimes we even get angry with God. God, what are you doing? I mean, I follow you faithfully. Sometimes in our workplace, we've been a faithful Christian. Sometimes in our neighborhood. And, and, and all these you know, little struggles beginning to take place. That's because somewhere down the line, our view of Christianity has been tainted. I want you to just listen to what Jesus said to his disciples in John 15. John 15, verses 18 through to 21. He says this, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world will love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you and on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. That's the picture of Christian living. And that's the picture that we need to have even as we come to a text like this. A biblical picture of what it means to live out the Christian life. And I pray that as we look at this, this passage, it would stir our hearts to think through what we think about the Christian life. And it would cause us to be even more f be faithful to Christ no matter what comes our way and not be drawn to the attractions and distractions of this world. See, the author of Hebrews, just before this section, has just warned his listeners of the you know, the, the catastrophe of not persevering, of abandoning Christ, that if you abandon Christ, ultimately what is waiting for you is only eternal judgment. 
And why he does that is so because he wants the believers there to not go down that pathway. He wants them to persevere. He wants them to cling on to Christ. And so now he gets to a very practical question of then how do we endure as a Christian in this life? How do we endure as a Christian in this life? And by way of outline, he's going to give us two answers. He's going to tell us to remember what you have endured in verses 33 to 34. And then he's going to say, retain. And the second thing he's going to say is, retain your confidence in the Lord in verses 35 to 39. And these are two ways in which you can continue to endure in your Christian faith in this world. So let's look first at what he says first. Remember what you endured. Verse 32. He says, But recall the former days. Recall those early days. And he says, After you were enlightened. See, for these Jewish Christians, it wasn't just a mere intellectual enlightenment of who Jesus is and what he had done. It wasn't like that message of who Jesus is and what he had done just went in here and came out the other year. It wasn't just an intellectual exercise for them. No, the light of Jesus broke into their very darkened souls. And they genuinely believed the gospel to be true with all their heart. So much so that it impacted the way they lived their life. There was so much of an impact that they were even willing to stand for Christ and even suffer as a result. That's how evident God's work of grace was seen in their life after the gospel broke light into their dark soul. See, persecution for Christians, for being a Christian, was especially common everywhere during the first few centuries. And so these Hebrew Christians too, right after they became Christians, right after they associated with Jesus and truly believed in Him, what was the normal thing that happened? They faced persecution. Even as new converts, they faced persecution. They didn't have it easy as Christians. And the author is saying, don't you remember that? He says, after you were, recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. A hard struggle with Sufferings, you, you endured that. The word there for struggle, it's the word athlesis in the Greek. It's where we get the English word athletic. 
The picture is of an athlete who, with all his vigor, is, is staying the course in whatever contest he's taking part in. And so the author is reminding the Hebrews that when God's grace came into their lives and they believed the gospel they, and they immediately faced persecution, they didn't retreat. No, they counted the cost of following Jesus and they stayed the course like an athlete would in a competition. See, these Jewish Christians, once they renounced Judaism to follow Jesus, they were treated harshly. First of all, by their fellow Jews, those who continued to follow in Judaism. And it would have cost them their businesses, because often they did their businesses together. They would have been kicked out of their families as well. And in fact, that's why, for example, you know, in 1 Corinthians 16, uh, verses 1 to 3, and we read this in, in 2 Corinthians as well. We read of Apostle Paul collecting funds for whom? For Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. And he's collecting funds from Gentile churches. Now you say, why is he doing that? Because there was all kinds of persecutions, particularly for Jewish Christians. Their properties were taken from them. They were you know, thrown out of their families. And so they had become very poor. And despite all this persecution, they stayed the course. Now the author explains what some of these persecutions were in the next couple of verses. Look at verse 33. Sometimes, being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. In other words, sometimes they were mocked and shamed and mistreated and made a public spectacle of because of their faith in Jesus. Can you imagine a whole mob standing there and shaming you and mocking you wherever you went? And I'm sure there would have been some sort of physical violence as well. You know, but it's one thing to just you know, suffer for your own faith. But then it's quite another thing to, to stay loyal to others who are also suffering. And that's what they did. See, because at other times they suffered because they chose to identify with their fellow Christians who were being treated the same way. You know, someone's being persecuted, either physically or mocked at or whatever. What do these people do? What do these Christians do? I'm going to go and stand with them. I'm with them. And so they chose to face persecution together for the cause of Christ. They didn't abandon their fellow believers who were being persecuted. Now the author gets a bit more specific about their persecution in verse 34. He says, For you had compassion on those in prison. Now, in the first century, prisoners were treated 
very poorly. You know, many died in prisons because they didn't have access to basic essentials. So what that meant is that unless fellow Christians came and visited these Christians who were in prison, they would have no provision for food and water and clothing and even things to keep them warm like blankets and whatnot. But here's the problem. If as a Christian you were to visit a fellow Christian in the prison and provide for their needs, it was putting your life at risk as well. Because now the authorities know, oh, that's a Christian as well. And now the spotlight would be on you as well. And quite likely you would face some persecution too as a result. So you've, you've got to really think of this when you're thinking of associating yourselves with such Christians in prison in those days. And yet, that is exactly what the Hebrew Christians did when they first became Christians. They were willing to risk their own life to care for their fellow Christians and to be identified as one with them. Why? Because of their faith in Jesus and that love of Jesus that was flowing outward toward their fellow brothers and sisters. The author goes on saying, And you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. You know, it would seem that as a result of choosing to associate with fellow believers in prison, their property was plundered. Now, it's not certain whether it was official authorities or just an angry mob, uh, an angry community that came and plundered them. Regardless, what's shocking is not that they, you know, they, they lost their possessions because they followed Jesus and chose to associate with fellow Christians. What is shocking is that when, when they did lose their possessions, notice what it says, that they responded with joy when it happened. Incredible, isn't it? I mean, imagine this, right? You choose to associate with a Christian who, you know, who's standing for something that the Bible supports. And then you come home to find out that your house is now totally vandalized. And people have taken a lot of your possessions. Or maybe after associating with that Christian, you come home to find out that you now have a lawsuit against you for associating with that person, with that brother or sister. Why, Why is there so much of hatred? Because the world hates God and Christ and what he has said in his word. How, how would you respond then? I think I'd struggle. And I'd probably be upset. I certainly don't think I'd be joyful at that moment. And yet this is how the Hebrew Christians responded when their possessions were taken as a result of associating with other Christians and being named one who follows Jesus. They joyfully accepted it, the text says. 
But you say, how? You know, how can they be so joyful even when they're being plundered like this and facing so much persecution? Look at the last part of verse 34. It says, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. See, these Jewish Christians were so certain of their hope. They were so certain that this life is not all that there is. There is something better coming. They knew that they would inherit a new world that Christ would bring one day. And so it didn't matter to them if they died, if they were in prison, if they lost their earthly possessions. They were ready to follow Christ and be associated with their fellow Christians and minister to them no matter what the cost because they were so sure of this heavenly possession. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 19-21, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys or where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. These Christians, they really believe that. It wasn't just a verse to memorize, or it wasn't just a verse to just flip through. They really believed it. See, as far as they were concerned, they thought, we're going to die anyway. And all this stuff is going to rot. But if I cling on to Christ and His people, I'm certain of this. That I will one day receive my heavenly inheritance. That I will one day be in my eternal home, this restored world that Christ will bring. And I will dwell with Him in joy and in peace and in happiness, absent from sorrow and suffering and pain and all that. And they were certain of that. And so, they remained joyful and endured persecution from the world. Now most of us, you know, would be listening to this or reading this and say, I don't know if I can be a faithful Christian like that and endure persecution like that. And then on top of that, especially with joy. I think these were super Christians. No, they weren't super Christians. They were Christians just like us. They had a faith just like us. And so there was nothing special about their faith either. Then, wh then why do we think we, c we can't be like this? Well, I think one reason we find it so difficult to comprehend it is, as I said before, is because we live in such a prosperous country. And for the most bit, we haven't faced any persecution. And so because of the 
all the prosperity, as Piper has said, there's a certain at-homeness in this world. We're just so comfortable in this world. And so then our hearts tend to gravitate towards the comfort and the security and the prosperity that this, this world around us offers. That's where our hearts are being tugged towards and that's where it's going towards. You know something? You know why persecuted churches and underground churches, why those Christians thrive so well under persecution? See, because as a result of persecution, they have a very real sense that this world is not their own. And so they don't cling on to the things of this world as a result. They cling on to that eternal hope. They recognize that they are just sojourners in this world, just passerbys. They're citizens of this new world that Christ will bring, and so they don't hold on much to this world. And that's why they thrive so much under persecution. Now you might be thinking, but so how, how do we get our hearts to be so set on the things about and not be lured by the things of this world? And not lose our focus. How do we do that? I mean, do we look for persecution then? And look for trouble? No, the Bible doesn't tell us to go look for persecution. Then what are we to do? Well, I, I, I would say we do exactly what the author has already been telling us, even as we looked at the last couple of weeks that we continue to gather with God's people. And rather than focusing on ourselves, think of ways to serve others and encourage others in their walk with the Lord. Think of ways to be generous with others, with your time and your resources. And as you do life with others and open your hearts and your lives and, and you're so outward focused that way because of your love for Jesus, then continue to draw near to God and hold on to the hope that you have in Christ. Because as you're with God's people, you're continually reminded of all these things. See, when we do this, when we just do this in our ordinary lives, it's a great way to curb our self-centeredness. You know, it's me, number one, that I've got to look after. I can't be inconvenienced and I can't sacrifice for the sake of my brother or my sister. And so this is a great way to be to curb that self-centeredness and to be focused on being generous and serving our brothers and sisters in Christ because we recognize our love for Christ should result in love for His people. See, the author's intention here is to get these precious Christians to look at their past and to say, look, you endured persecution in the past. And it wasn't by your strength. God enabled you. 
It's God's grace in your life that you were able to endure this way. And so his, his reasoning is, so if God has done that in the past, then you can surely endure in the faith even now as you're beginning to face more persecution. Now most of us sitting here may not have faced that kind of persecution that this Christ, these Christians have gone through. No, but perhaps there's been some of you, maybe in the past year, maybe years before, where you faced some persecution in the family because you became a Christian. Maybe some of you, it, it cost you a certain job or a certain promotion or a certain grade in your studies. Maybe it costs you your friendship. Think of how God sustained you through that, to be faithful to Him, and to be a faithful witness to Him, where you said, no, I will not compromise, and I will not go that way. Because Christian, if you're here today, and you're feeling weak and tired, and you think you can't go on, that's what the author is saying do. Look at how God has sustained you in the past and kept you as a faithful witness. And if he has done that in the past, he will surely continue to sustain you even now and into the future. And I would even say this. You know, this afternoon we've got end of your lunch. Uh, it'll be a great feast, I'm sure. And for those of you who are visitors, we don't always have lunch like this, but you picked a good day to come. But we're glad you're here with us today. But I want to say to you, if, if God has helped you to endure as a Christian in the past, as you were facing difficulties for living out as a Christian, then share that with others during this time, during your lunchtime. It'll not only remind you of God's faithfulness to keep you going, but it'll also encourage others to continue in the faith. And this is exactly what the author is trying to do, reminding them that God helped them to persevere in the midst of persecution in the past so as to keep going on in the faith. But the bottom line is this. We should never think of our problem, that our problems in this world will disappear when we become Christians. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Many times our problems will only increase. And especially now, even as our culture is becoming more and more godless and intolerant of all that the Bible says and stands for. And so what that means is our faith in Christ may cost us our friends. It may cost us our families. It may cost us our possessions. It may cost us our comforts. While we may lose all those things, in an eternal sense, we lose nothing. Because we have an eternal hope in Christ and that can never be taken away from us. 
It's an abiding possession. And may this hope enable us to continue in the faith even as God has enabled us in the past. And this now brings us to the second reason how we can endure in the faith. It's really, the author is really drawing a conclusion based on how God has sustained you in the past. And, and what he says essentially is, retain your confidence in verses 35 to 39. Retain your confidence. Look at verse 35. He says, therefore, so concluding, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. Now, what is this confidence? It's not talking about some sort of self-confidence. You know, I, you know it, it saddens me when I still hear Christians speak like this. When they say things like, oh, believe in yourself. Be confident in yourself. You know, the Bible never calls us to do that. In fact, the Bible tells us the very opposite. Don't trust yourself. Don't trust your heart. But what the Bible does call us to do is be confident in the Lord. The confidence here is the person and the work of Jesus Christ, the sure and steady anchor of our souls. Like the song we sing, On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. That's our confidence, Christ and His work. Not in ourselves, not in this world. Our confidence is in Jesus Christ alone. And so the author is saying, don't throw away your confidence in Jesus because it has a great reward. And what's his reward? The same thing that he's mentioned just previously, the better and abiding heavenly possession. The reward of being part of the kingdom that Jesus will establish and Peace and joy and delight and all that it brings about. Or as the author has mentioned in previous sections, you could even say this great reward is the reward of final salvation. And and the author goes on to say, verse 36, For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised so what's he saying here don't throw away your confidence in jesus instead you need to endure in the faith that's what doing the will of god means here god's will for your life is to patiently endure in the faith god's will for your life is to persevere in faith in jesus to treasure Jesus and to cling to Him no matter what this world throws at you. In every situation, you are to strive to honor Christ. That is God's will for your life. And He says, do this so that when you have persevered and done God's will, you may receive what is promised. Again, what is promised? Same things that he's been talking about before, the heavenly reward, the abiding possession that he's already talked about. Now think about this. 
those Christians and even us as Christians, we haven't received these promises as yet. Some of these promises this, that comes with Jesus' return. We know them, we know these promises, and we, we may even be called to suffer for the sake of these promises. But the author says, you need to continue to persevere. And only if you continue to persevere in the faith till the end will you receive these promises. Now the author gives some basis to this in verse 37. He says, For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. The coming one here refers to Jesus. He's sort of trying to motivate now his listeners. What he's saying is that the difficulties and the trials and the sufferings for living as a Christian in this world will not last forever. But the reward of final salvation in Christ, that will be forever. It's like what we read this morning in our Bible reading, Romans 8, 18. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. You see, your time here, if you're a Christian, in this sin-cursed world is only a little while compared to the unending reward promised to you when Jesus returns and all that it entails. This life here, in comparison to that, is just a little while. Jesus will return. He is coming soon. And he will set everything right in this world. But in the meanwhile, the author says, verse 38, But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Now this section, it's taken from Habakkuk chapter 2 and verses 3 and 4. Now we looked at this when we went through the book of Habakkuk, I don't know, maybe three years ago or something. But just to remind ourselves and for those of you who weren't there and for those of you who've forgotten, Habakkuk was a prophet in the Old Testament and he saw all the injustice and the wickedness and the idolatry that was going on with the people of Israel, particularly in the southern kingdom. So Habakkuk sees this. And so then he calls on to the Lord saying, Lord, do you not see all this? Do you not care, Lord? How long will you let all this wickedness to go on with your people? And then, so then the Lord answers him by saying, yes, I see this, Habakkuk. I see the wickedness that my people are involved in. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to send the Chaldeans or the Babylonians. I'm going to send them to judge my people. Now Habakkuk hears this and he's confused and even shocked with God's answer. It almost didn't make sense to him. So he says, but, but Lord, how is that any better? 
I mean, the Babylonians are way more wicked and way more evil than your people. I mean, the kind of atrocities that they do, it's so much more worse than what your people are doing. So how does that work, that you send such wicked people to judge your people? And so then the Lord replies essentially by saying, I am Lord over the wicked and the righteous. And I will do what is just and right. I will preserve those who trust in me, and I will bring judgment on those who are wicked and don't trust in me. And then he says, these things that I have promised will come to pass. Write them down, but it won't come in your timeline. It will come in my timeline. And then the Lord says this, essentially to encourage Habakkuk. And he says, let me tell you what characterizes or what is the characteristic difference between the wicked, that's talking about the unbelievers, and the righteous, that's the believers. He says the wicked are those who are puffed up. Those who are prideful. They are ones who trust in themselves and trust in their ways and do whatever they want. They have no regard for me, but their life will ultimately lead to ruin. This is what marks an unbeliever. The believers or the righteous, as is mentioned here, they are ones who live by faith. Their lives are marked by faith in the Lord no matter what. And this is what characterizes every believer. See, what is being highlighted here is the kind of faith a believer has. Like Habakkuk in the Old Testament, and even for us as Christians in this day and age, the question can be asked, how can the righteous or how can believers endure as we live in between what God has promised and we wait for its future fulfillment? Yes, we know God has promised and we're living in this time frame where we're still waiting for things to be fulfilled. How can we endure as believers? Answer, as per Habakkuk that the author is quoting here, as Christians we live by faith. See what he's saying is this faith, it's not a one-time event. Something I did in the past. Perhaps something I did for a season. No, as believers, we continue to live by faith, by fixing our eyes on Jesus and leaning on Him, trusting that God will bring about what He has promised. This faith perseveres. That's what saving faith is. This is what characterized the faith of all of God's people throughout the generations. In fact, that's what he's going to talk about in chapter 11 as he starts with Abraham and Isaac and all the heroes of faith to tell them it's always been a persevering faith, not a one-time faith. Their life was characterized by, from start to finish of trusting in the Lord. It is a persevering faith. That's what saving faith is. And so he says, but those who shrink back, those who don't come to trust in Jesus, 
and those who don't follow him. He says, God will have no pleasure in you. And you will not receive the eternal reward of being with Jesus in a new world that is free of sin and suffering and pain, but you will face the judgment of God for all eternity. Friend, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, I do want to tell you that this will be your reality. Everything now may seem reasonably okay in your life right now. But I want to ask you, friend, deep down inside, don't you know, even as you live in this world, you realize nothing in this world lasts. Nothing in this world satisfies. Then why do you live after the things of this world? Friend, I want to tell you that the true and living God who is just and righteous and holy and who couldn't wink from sin, sent his son Jesus Christ into this world to take the form of a man. And then he died on the cross, not for his sin, no, he was sinless and he was perfect. But he died on the cross to take the wrath and the justice of God for sinful people like you and me. And then he rose up on the third day showing that his sacrifice on the cross was enough to pay the price for sinners like you and me. So I would tell you this, friend. Turn from yourself. Turn from living for yourself. Turn from your sin. See what Jesus has done on the cross and come to him and trust in him. You can be assured of an eternity of joy and peace and delight in Jesus and in a world that he will bring about. If you want to know more about what it means to follow Jesus, please come and talk to me or Donnie or perhaps one of the members in this church and we'd be happy to talk to you about what that means. But let me just finish. After looking back at his calling the readers to look at their past life and how God has sustained them and caused them to endure. The author has encouraged them to keep pressing on forward. And he closes with this in verse 39. But we are not those of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. The author is saying, here's what I want you to know, listeners. If you are a Christian and if you are a believer, I know for sure you're going to make it. I know you're not going to give up. I know that as true believers, you will listen to the warnings that I've given you. Uh, you will listen to the encouragements that are set before you. Because that's what a true believer does, believes in God's word. And you will continue to persevere in the faith by clinging on to Jesus. I'm confident of that. I pray that even as we've listened to this, we would have a stronger sense of 
the fact that this world is not our home. The attractions and distractions of this world that we would move further and further away from it. That we wouldn't seek the approval of the world. When the world says, this is truth. And it is opposed to God's word, whether in issues of gender or marriage or any other biblical truth. But we would stand firm on the rock of our salvation, Jesus Christ. And that we would persevere in the faith. Not because we are great. Not because we have such stamina and strength. But because of God's grace in our life that is causing us to persevere. And because of our faith that rests ultimately in Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this country. We thank you for the many privileges that we enjoy. We recognize that even as Christians, this is, this is not the norm. It is an anomaly. Yet we are thankful. Lord, what do we pray that all these benefits, this, these physical benefits that you've given to us living in this country, would not cause us then to be drawn into this world and take you for granted and standing for Christ for granted. That it wouldn't cause us to compromise, but it would cause us to... But even as we gather together uh, and as we talk about how you continue to sustain us through through the difficulty of living in this world that it would encourage us to stand firm for you it would encourage us to stand firm for Christ knowing that our assurance and our confidence comes in and through him Lord help us to be faithful witnesses to you and we ask all these things for Jesus name's sake Amen <laughs>